Oh, yeah, you got to have faith to do a podcast like this, especially mine, the Check Your Brain podcast hosted by me, Tony Mazur. Thank you, everybody, for uh, listening. And uh, if you are subscribing, I really appreciate it. If you are just checking out the show right now and you stumbled upon it or you got retweeted on your timeline, I appreciate you for uh, for checking out the show. And if you want more content where again to a lot more topics uh, very similar to this one we're going to get into today, go to patreon.com slash Tony Mazur for three bucks a month. You get uh, about 20 something podcasts a month then for five dollars you get video and then ten dollars you get extra content so a plethora of content here on my podcast the check your brain podcast but if you don't want to listen to my podcast but you are interested in something uh, probably a little more intelligent than what i normally put out <laughs> something a little bit more thought-provoking and it's a podcast it is called the based catholic and my guest today is jessica kramer and uh yes she is the host of that podcast and uh, you kind of are just starting out with this uh, podcast uh, in in this universe, but you've been around and uh, you're a, a, a reformed, or you've 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 come to the Catholic Church, and you uh, you have this this podcast called the Based Catholic, and I I consider myself kind of a based Catholic myself. But talk about first of all, where can we find the podcast? Talk about yourself a little bit and your I guess conversion to becoming a Catholic in this, uh, especially in this crazy universe that is. Uh, rapidly getting, whether it's secular or rapidly, uh, I don't know, uh, demonic in many ways. <laughs> um, yeah. So I spent, I'm from Menor, Ohio. So I'm from Cleveland. And I spent the last five years in Washington, D.C. as a conservative video reporter. And I did a little bit of opinion writing for a Catholic publication, Crisis Magazine. And then I got this opportunity to launch my own radio show and podcast, The Based Catholic. So this is available on Spotify and Apple. And then if you're local to the Cleveland area, it's through a Salem affiliate, WHK and WHKW. I worked so there. The- I worked yeah. there back oh. in the about 15 years ago. Goodness gracious. I'm an old Are you man. Serious? Really? Oh, oh, yeah. It's still over you don't on look uh, like Summit you could Boulevard. Do that 15 years ago. <laughs> still on Summit Boulevard. Um, yes. Yeah. Here in Independence. Oh, yeah. I, I know it well uh, oh, that's so <laughs> in, my, cool. in my back in my day. But uh, yeah, no, that's that, that's great. And. Uh, since you coming back to town and uh, and putting a podcast out like this, uh, I guess talk about your your I hate saying journey because it's been so played out. But what is what has been your journey? And especially when you come from the modern day Sodom and Gomorrah, which is Washington, D.C. <laughs> well, like I said, I'm from Cleveland and so moved back here to start this new job uh, this past summer. And yeah, D.C. is its own animal. And even D.C. Catholic conservative culture is its own animal. It's definitely it's definitely tainted. It's definitely warped by uh, a bunch of power hungry careerists, which never really fit me. So I'm glad to be back home where, you know, people are from here. They're rooted. There's a sense of family and community and uh, people have more going on in their lives than just their jobs. So what does it mean? Your your podcast is called Base Catholic. And we've heard the term probably in the last, especially Reddit culture, meme culture in the last seven, eight years of what it means to be based. But being a base Catholic, what does that mean to you? And what does, I guess, the term base Catholic mean? So base Catholic. So I in my intro, I think Tim Dillon does a really nice job of explaining, in my opinion, what based means which is basically antithetical to woke. So it's our side's version of woke, meaning to get radical, um, 
when I think of base, I think of, okay, well, what are you basing everything on? Like, what is the base? What is the foundation of your worldview? And so for me as a Catholic convert, you know, as a former Protestant, um, everything I see comes from a Catholic perspective and through the Catholic lens. And so being based is really about getting the, the Catholic thought ahead of even my conservative thought, you know, like I had a conversion even in my political philosophy once I became Catholic. And honestly, there's very few conservatives that I think have a good understanding of what true conservatism is. Um, for the Catholic, it, it, it crosses party lines in various ways. And we still see, I think, a strand of liberalism even on the right. And so as an integralist, which is wanting to integrate Catholic politics into the political sphere, um, yeah, there's not much that I can agree with. So I started a show basically where I can approach things from a, a perspective that I don't think is often being accounted for in, especially in conservative media. So, uh, we can go in two, two ways with this and I could probably ask you one and we can focus on one topic and then we get to the next one. And when you talk about Catholic conservatism, and it's something that I'm very close to me because I've uh, considered myself to be one for basically all my life. Uh, however, it's not without its trials and tribulations in the faith. And I think it's I think it's pretty healthy, in my opinion, pretty healthy to question both of those ideologies, because ultimately what should come first is not necessarily your political affiliation, but it is your I don't want to say identity because it, it just seems so cliched nowadays. And it's like my identity. No, your identity should not come first. But I think your uh, how you how you represent yourself in modern modern times of where you're based using the term base basing <laughs> yourself in, in in rooted in Jesus Christ rooted in God rooted in your faith as opposed to who you voted for in the last election um let's talk about Catholicism right now because there's a, a few things and you cover them on your podcast of what's been happening inside the church and there is a true tumult that's going on right now between the i guess the based catholics and the more liberal catholics and growing up in the and you know i'm 35 and uh so we you and i didn't grow up back in the pre-vatican two days where things were a little bit more uh traditional and ever since then ever since vatican two things have I don't want to say progressed, uh, I guess, progressivism, whatever. But in my opinion, I feel like they've regressed. They've tried to do too much to bring younger people into the church. I know, let's play guitars and tambourines and choirs. <laughs> and uh, it, it seems to me that it's not drawing the people that they wanted, the younger vote, or I don't want to say younger vote, goodness, that's Freudian slip, the uh, younger <laughs> parishioners of millennials and Gen Z, they're not coming there because they want to hear a drum solo and a bass solo and two to three solos after communion. They want to be there for some kind of meaning. So I, I guess talk about like those two different camps in the Catholic Church that I, I hate saying at war with each other because it's not a true war, but there is kind of a a, a true disconnect going on inside the church right now. Yeah. So as a former Protestant, you know, I went to Liberty University and we had convo three times a week, which was like our version of chapel, which was more like, I don't know if you know what passion is, but it's, it's basically massive worship and, you know, a prominent speaker. It's like a mini conference, you know, three times a week. And coming from that world, 
I, I always tell Catholics, I'm like, Protestants do it better. Like, stop trying to bring in the worship music. Um, stop trying to modernize the church. It doesn't fly. It's a different style. And the, what actually brought me to the Catholic church was not only um, starting to look at, okay, well, what is true? And I mean that in the sense of like, what is objectively true? Not, not what is the denomination I like or the church service I like or the church I like, but what is actually true? And so when I started asking those questions and, you know, they stemmed from various, you know, things going on in my life, um, it led me to the church. And the thing that I think is so beautiful about the Catholic church is it's aesthetically beautiful. It smells beautiful when you go to a really reverent liturgy that has incense. Um, you know, obviously the architecture, the stained glass, the statues, the images, like it looks beautiful. It sounds beautiful, like Latin choir hymns, um, traditional sacred music chants, like those are beautiful sounds. Like there's something otherworldly when you encounter a really reverent liturgy that I think draws a young person because I think we are so sick of the modern world that I don't want to go to one more thing that reminds me of everything else that's liberal and pagan in our culture. So for me, you know, and I see it among young people, especially coming from the Diocese of Arlington and the D.C. area, the young people are drawn to like a reverent Novus Ordo or a Latin mass. Like nobody wants to go. And I, I, I coined it suburban Catholicism. Like if you go to your typical suburban Catholic church, that's really hideous with horrible music that's being led by, you know, Karen from the PTA is a Eucharistic minister. Um, there's just, a you know, like kind of like a boomer priest. Um, that version of Catholicism that people grew up with, I'm not surprised that they have rejected it. But what's sad is that the traditional Latin mass has been so snuffed out from our, our periphery that no one even knows about it. And so when you discover it, you're like, well, why didn't I know about this in high school? Like, why didn't I know about this in college? Why did it take me so many years to discover this? And I think what's sad is that you're, you're seeing the church hierarchy run by, you know, these older generations that don't get it, you know, like they don't get what appeals to a young person in today's world. They still think that the boomer mass is what's going to appeal, but little do they know, you know, once they die, the traditional Latin mass is the one that's going to be coming back stronger because that's what we're drawn to. So it's funny, father Doug over at Mary queen of peace. He said, he's like, this is, you know, unfortunately leaving my parish for now, but he's like, this is a mass that will continue. It's continued through every age and it's going to come back stronger. Like at one point it will be back in my church. And well, that that's one observation that I was thinking about recently, because after hearing that the Latin mass is getting phased out in many of these, if not all the churches and the Pope Francis, uh, Pope Bergoglio, him trying to snuff out the Latin mass and go to uh, whatever, again, more guitar solos and drum solos and everything. <laughs> um, it, I've gone to Latin masses and I, I think the perception from those aforementioned boomers would be, oh, it's just a bunch of old people that are there with their old traditions and whatever. No, it's young. It's a mix, but it's a lot of young families. And I, I cover this a lot on my podcast about the culture. And it seems that younger people want meaning and it, it whether, whether they were brainwashed by having a smartphone or Netflix or having the internet at the palm of their hands, that they're told that Harry Potter, Marvel movies, Star Wars, these are fixtures in our culture. Therefore, they're godlike, small g, uh, like creatures or they're uh, something to to revere. And when they realize they're not getting the meaning out of that or crystals or tarot cards, they're like, wait a second. 
the church, whether it's the Catholic church or any type of church, has survived all of these centuries, as opposed to Harry Potter that's been around for 25 years. Uh, it, there's something to that. And that's why I think a lot of people are looking for meaning and they're returning to the church. Uh, it, just my observation, I think you've seen that as well. Yeah, and I've I've even seen it with um, Protestants. You know, there were a few people from Liberty that converted or came back to the Catholic Church after going through a Protestant phase after I converted, and I think that was interesting because I think what you're seeing there, and that's what that's what I kind of ran into is, you know, every the the nature of Protestantism is that it's always going to splinter. Someone's always going to interpret Scripture differently. Um, someone's always going to not like a certain church or a certain denomination's um, current stance and, and democratic vote on something. And so you're constantly splintering off and, and ultimately you're your own Pope. You become your own God. You determine what is true. So when I saw that there was a church that was still against contraception, which I saw as a grave moral evil, I was like, there's something instinctive in me that is saying that that is true because for 2000 years, the only remaining institution against this is a church despite the scandalous, you know, scoundrels that have, you know, been in charge, uh, there's something very miraculous about that. And so like that kind of proved to me when Christ promises the gates of hell will not prevail. I was like, well, that's evidence. Like the fact that that hasn't like that we haven't um, cowed to the culture, like there's something about that. And so especially today where I think you see every institution being so tainted by liberalism, I think you're going to see more Protestants converting to Catholicism because I think you you don't want the church. I think G.K. Chesterton said you don't want the church that goes with the culture. You want the church that stands against it because you want something that's true and lasting despite the age that it's in. So, yeah, people, and that's what I found. Yeah, people seem to want tradition more a days. And as we, I mean, you, you can listen to this in regular music or TikTok or whatever. It, not that anybody would, would want to, but <laughs> I, I noticed that whenever I come across a TikTok video, I don't have it, but it's usually a song that I'm like, wait a second, that song's 30 years old. That song's 25 years old. That song's yeah. 15 years old. That song is 40 years old. High school musical, like not not the not high school musical, but like music from your high school era is like very popular right now. It's it's popular again. And yeah. because I think people are waking up to realizing that they don't need to be taken in by whatever is controlling our society that uh, that uh, uh, Spotify says, hey, this is the number one song. And instead of us just going, oh, I guess that I guess that's really popular. People really enjoy that. Many people are like, I've never heard of that song. I've never heard of that artist. Uh, I'm going to go back into my old. Uh, I mean, that's why vinyl made such a comeback. So I think people are craving some type of tradition, at least going back just a couple of years and some kind of conservation. Uh, getting uh, I'm, I'm going to do a transition here into talking about conservatism, but also with Catholicism, because uh, one thing I really enjoy is going to these traditional churches that uh, like Mary Queen of Peace that I go to as well. And it's nice that it's just no nonsense. It's you go there. You're basically I'm basically in my car. I'll go to 630 mass and I'll be in my car by 705, which is great because it kind of cuts cuts <laughs> away a lot of the fat that you see in a lot of masses. Um, that, but that's just the regular the, the low mass. Um one thing that I, I that really bothered me is the suburban Catholics the last couple of years during COVID was that they mm. were the ones that seemed it, don't we shall not judge shouldn't shouldn't judge but then if you weren't wearing a mask properly they're like you want <laughs> you want me to die and uh, we can't have Easter I was very disappointed the fact that the Catholic Church overall just seemed 
okay with shutting down services because of uh, what is what amounted to be a minor cold three and a half years ago. Yeah, and uh, we couldn't have Easter. We couldn't have Christmas services. Uh, I'm I'm watching priests. I, now I don't know if this was in America, but they were putting holy water and squirt guns and baptizing babies, and mm. and then it, it it just seemed like they were just so fine with let's just shut down. Everybody, it's it's time. It's you know we understand. Look, I understand that uh, your faith is important, but what's most important is that we don't get sick. And I'm just going. And, and then when I returned to the church uh, after all the lockdowns, I was either being judged or shaken down for more money, so Catholic charities can donate more of our money to immigrants who are crossing the border and flooding them with iPhones and Air Jordan sneakers. And I'm thinking to myself. This isn't the Catholic Church that I thought I was being brought up in, that that I was have participated in for my entire life. And I kind of strayed from the church the last couple of years. And, uh, ever, you know, a lot of things happened in 2022 for me personally that I, uh, I kind of ended up returning to the church earlier this year and really enjoying the more traditional aspects. I think a lot of people feel the same, but it just seemed to me that the more suburban, lax, not lapsed, but LAX laxed Catholics, uh, they just seemed pretty subservient with whatever the Pope wants the direction of the church to be. And it just seems to me very disappointing. Yeah. I mean, I was in Diocese of Arlington and luckily I thought our priests and our parishes did a pretty good job with what was going on with COVID. I mean, a lot of it was up to the bishops. And I think, I think we should have had stronger bishops. I, I think COVID was crazy because I don't think anybody expected it. And I don't think anyone knew what it was. I think people were thinking it was a lot worse than what it was. And I think we've never been in a situation like that to know. And I think that was a great test of like, okay, are we going to, are we focused on the world? Like, are we focused on our earthly life or are we actually focused on the next world? And how are we going to act in accordance when our faith is being shut down? I mean, in some ways I saw that as, as the government seeing how much they could control of people. And the fact that they could control to some degree the church from from stopping mass, that was kind of crazy to me. So it is unfortunate to see that. And, you know, anytime there's something going on in the church, whether it's the sex scandals, whether it's, you know, the shut like the um, hammering down of the Latin mass, whether it was covid, whether it was a host of other issues. Anytime there's something going on, I always kind of um, think of Simon Peter when he responds to Christ after Christ is explaining the Eucharist and expecting all the disciples to leave. And he says, you have the words of eternal life. Like where else would I go? And I think like, that's what I end up coming down to is that there is no alternative. There is no other church that has the fullness of truth. Like this is where Christ is. I receive him in the Eucharist. Um, despite bad leadership, I like the truth is still the truth. And even if people aren't expressing it or exclaiming it, or even personally believing it, like the fact that the institution still holds the truth, like it, that's what keeps me there. And so I think sometimes you have to, it's sad, but you have to kind of disassociate yourself as a Catholic from the bad Catholics. And I, I just think that that's, you know, all of church history and that's, you know, pretty much your experience as a human <laughs> in some capacity. Well, that that's what bothered me, especially when it came to the Pope was, you know, being raised as, of course, Polish as well with Pope John Paul mm. II. And then we had Pope Benedict, who was yeah. a little bit more of a conservative Pope as well. We went the opposite direction. We did a complete 180 with the steering wheel and went to Pope Francis. And it, it's very telling when your atheist agnostic friends all say they really like this pope. 
<laughs> when, when Barack Obama is up there praising what the Pope is saying and doing, I'm going to scratch my head a little bit and say, okay, what is going on? And ultimately, whether it's LGBTQ plus issues, whether it's pretty lax on the abortion issue or uh, illegal immigration, everything like that, there's a, a climate change. It just seems that this Pope is really saying things that are no different than what I could hear from a Klaus Schwab, a Vladimir Zelensky, a Joe Biden. It just seems very globalist to me. And that's why it, it represents this huge disconnect and divide in the church for some of you and I and many of our, our listeners are going, we want more tradition. And then this pope is saying we need more I don't know, uh, female priests. I don't know. Like, what, what are we going? What are we going for right now? It's just, what, what, what is your opinion on the Pope and uh, some of the things that he's been saying over the years? I mean, I'm definitely not a huge fan of Francis, but you know, being in DC, a lot of people, a lot smarter than me, had many opinions, and and some people would voice that some of this is the media. You know, they're they're trying to twist some things and make it sound like he might be more liberal than he is. It's also um, you have to read what he writes in accord with what he's previously written. And I guess supposedly and again, I, I have not read all his writings, so I'm not an expert on this at all. Um, but I guess supposedly to some people, he hasn't really diverged when you really look at like what he's actually writing and what he's actually saying. Um, and there have been some things that I liked that he had to say. I like that he's you know against technology and against this modernity. Um, I like that he calls out people for having dogs instead of children like there are some things that he says where I'm like okay like yes there's this you know there's still the catholic in him um so I, I can't tell if it is he's being badly interpreted or yeah he's he's not great um I'm curious to see how the pendulum will swing after him like I'm really curious what we're going to end up with after that it's going to get good or it's going to get bad so one thing you talk about in your podcast is about the culture war as well and I'm huge culture warrior. And when people bring it up, they say, why don't you just focus on like the issues? We talk about central bank, digital currency. We could talk about tax issues <laughs> and this and that. I'm like, no, I agree. Those are important issues to talk about. But the culture becomes political and the political yeah. becomes cultural. They're all intertwined right now. And one thing that I, I thought conservatives or Republicans or even libertarians, too, that said, we don't need to be fighting in these culture wars, have lost virtually every culture war for 60 years now. And then they wonder why there's drag queen story time. Then we wonder why there's BLM and trans pride progress flags in classrooms, because you didn't fight in these culture wars. You woke up and you realized the slippery slope that some of us had been warning for nearly 40 years was going downhill and you're like, ah, we're, we're too busy focused. We'll focus on elections. We'll focus on our policy. We'll focus on our faith and our family. And I'm like, no, those are important. But you also had to pay attention to what was going on. And you wonder why this was happening in schools, whether it was uh, the absolute injecting of, of feminism and, uh, and down with the patriarchy in schools from the eighties and the nineties to the uh, normalization of, of, um, uh, child mutilation that's been going on recently or critical race theory. It seemed like conservatives just decided to punt on every culture issue and then they wondered where they ended up. So what are your thoughts and how is, is this a good thing that it seems in, at least in the last couple of years that people on the, you know, anyone to the right of Bernie Sanders is finally fighting back against these culture in these culture wars. I mean, I think the culture wars are the most important thing because that's the soul of the society. 
you know, and think about like, what are the debates that get people fired up? Typically revolving around sex, men and women, um, religion, like the, like the, the crux of politics is, is like the relations between people and the truth and how things are going to be ordered in a culture and a society. Like those things matter. Like if you don't have those right, I don't really see how debating about tax policy is going to do anything because our whole society is just in an uproar about basics. I mean, that's the thing. It's like everything is now back to basics, like things that should not be a debate, like when life begins or what is a man, what is a woman? Like those things are now the central of the debate. And I think it's important to have those because I think without that, you're not going to have families. And if without families, you're not going to have a culture and a civilization. Like I think I think what you've seen since the sexual revolution is a total dismantling of the family and a total division between men and women that we've never seen before. I mean, I think there's always been that, but I think it's on a greater scale now. And so until you fix that, I don't think anything else matters. Like that's why I focus my time and attention on those things, because not only are the things that that get my heart fired up because they're so personal. I mean, like you're talking about people's like most important choice in their life is who they're going to spend their life with and how they're going to build a life and have children and what and what sort of society they're going to raise those kids in. Like those are the most important things to people. They're the most personal. So like those intimate conversations, those need to be had on a cultural scale. When in 2022, uh, what really swung the election for a lot of these, especially swing states, was the Roe versus Wade topic. And it created what I didn't realize. And I've talked about this a bunch of times. It created a voting block that I think many of us underestimated were the single 40 year old Democrat women. And they became one issue voters, which was abortion, that it didn't matter who they voted for. Uh, if it, they'll vote for John Fetterman, the guy can't form a sentence. <laughs> he he opens his uh, debate saying, hi, good night, everybody. And people are saying, I don't care. He's on my side when it comes to abortion. I'll vote for him. I don't care if the guy can't if, if he can't speak. I don't care if he's dead. Uh, I will vote for him because he's pro-abortion. And it just seemed to me that many of us underestimated the power of second and third wave feminism the last several decades now. It's been basically 40 years and uh, it, it glorifying whether it's single motherhood, glorifying abortion, glorifying um, uh, breaking through the glass ceiling, being career women. I don't think there's a problem with being a career woman, but as long as you understand that there's a possibility of trying to have kids, trying to uh, you know, have a family, get married and continue on the tradition. And it just seemed to me that there were a lot of women that decided uh, and men, too, I think, as well. But in fairness, but it seemed like creating this this huge block of feminism to say, I don't need to have kids. I don't want to be defined by having a husband. I want to I want to be a career woman. I want to do this, this and this. And oh, by the way, I'm voting for the candidate who uh, agrees with me when it comes to abortion. I, I guess talk about that. And I'm sure you've seen this personally from whether it's friends or colleagues or anything that did the same thing and may possibly down the road realize the error of their ways and that they got brainwashed by feminism. I mean, I think feminism is a problem, but I also think pornography. I mean, you want to talk about a huge drive for oh, yeah. the lack of marriage and family formation. I think that is number one, because I think you have an entire cohort. And my friend just talked about this on my last podcast episode. You have an entire cohort of men that is unlike any other group of men in the history of the world who has been exposed and unfortunately so damaged by a predatory industry that 
I mean, at this point, they're no longer interested in real women. They would rather gratify themselves through fake women. Mm-hmm. And so I think when you've got that going on, you're going to have a lot of women that would would love to get married, would love to have children. But these men are just not marriageable. And then I think in a way of coping, you know, they have to turn to their career to support themselves. So I don't know how many of it is It's kind of like the chicken or the egg. It's like, was it men? Was it women? I don't really know what comes first and what's just a coping mechanism. Um, But I think there's a lot more at play than just feminism. Like there's yes, there's definitely the agitated diehard feminists that are super pro-abortion and pro-birth control and the whole thing. Um, But there's also a lot of women that would choose not to live that life and don't want that life and desperately want to have a family that I think are being forgotten in those conversations um, because we don't talk about what's going on with the men enough. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think addressing both sexes is really important in the conversations because I think you can't really fix one without fixing the other. You know, I agree. So there's, yeah. There's a lot going on. I, I agree. It, it is a chicken or the egg situation. I've talked about that before uh, about pornography that it's still fairly new. And when I say that, yes, pornography has been around in some way, shape or form since the cave days. But the fact that there are kids who are what the iPhone came out in 2007, the desensitization of having porn basically three clicks away on your phone and thinking that that's not going to have some kind of issue. And we, we have done some really about face in the last decade plus when it comes to marijuana and porn that it's just like, oh, it went from, oh, I, I got to put a wet towel under the crack of my door because I don't want the R- the RA to think I'm smoking weed uh, to go ahead and smoke it. Not only that, you can smoke it and blow a smoke ring in front of a cop. And the same with porn. Porn was supposed to be shameful. Porn, when you would go, I'll, I'll do a hyper local reference. If you're driving on Brook Park Road, over here in Cleveland. And there was like this red light district where you'd have the the adult bookstores and video stores and the novelty shop. And you'd see these guys in trench coats because they didn't want anybody knowing that they're going to something that is very shameful. And I think shame in many ways is good in our culture, in my opinion. Yes, we need uh, to bring it back. <laughs> but but we decided, no, porn's not bad. What's wrong with this? It's just, you're just getting your rocks off. It's okay. It's no problem. And it kind of is. And we haven't scratched the surface, in my opinion, because like you said, there are guys that teenagers into now young adults who are not meeting girls. They say, why would I want to meet a girl who maybe on a scale of one to 10 is a four when I can just go home, go on Pornhub and find tens all day long? Uh, Like, why wouldn't they? And you would say, well, you should raise your boys to have personal relationships with women. Yeah, ideal. And the one, that, and then here's the other thing: is what do you want your teenager to be sexually active? It's like, no, there is a balance, dummy. <laughs> we all know that there's a little bit of. Of course, you don't want teenagers having sex, but you also want them to explore relationships and not just going home and surfing the websites for different, you know, uh, depraved yeah, pornography. I, I, I mean, I really think that the number one issue of the day is a lack of chastity. Like, I think if we understood chastity, that you are a gift that is meant to be given to another person totally in marriage and that you should preserve that. You should preserve yourself for that person, like on both in both sexes. Like if that was something that could even be possible, I think it would eliminate like 90 percent of the world's problems. But for some reason, nobody ever wants to talk about it. No one ever wants to be held to that standard um, or challenged by it. And so we continue to like kind of create like these band-aid solutions. And I'm like, well, 
at the end of the day, it's like the, the, the issue there is that the person is seeing sex as like, what can I get from someone? Like, what can I get instead of what can I give? And I think when you flip that, you start to see like, oh yeah, like it's, it's not possible for me to give myself to a screen. It's not possible for me to give myself to a plethora of different women. It's not possible for me to, you know, give myself when I am holding back my fertility. Like there, when you start to see like the sexual act and sexuality in that way, I think it changes a lot of how you see everything. Yeah, it, it's it, because I, and I think a lot of it is the the fact that there's a lot of broken homes and, and divorce is another big thing. It's every yeah. one of these school shootings, every one of these child molesters, you start looking into the background and you realize, oh, raised by mom. Maybe grandma was around, maybe not, maybe in a foster home, whatever the case. And we've completely, as a culture, have decided at family, like, what's the big deal? Anybody can be a family. You can have two gay men and two gay women. It's like, but at the the end of the day, I think you need to realize that, like, have there probably been a school shooter that's come from a, a full home mom and dad? I'm sure. I'm sure there's been serial killers, uh, but a lot of them, they start snapping when mom and dad divorces kids. And, uh, you know, it's like, well, you know, we need our distance and we need to I needed to grow as an individual. And it's like, well, what about your children? Ah, yeah. Well, you know, they'll, they'll they'll figure it out. Kids are resilient. I love that one. Kids are resilient. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> ah, I don't think they're as resilient as you think. So talk about well, you, in know, your you know, mind. What's interesting when, when people talk about that. There's there's a stat that says if your father died and you didn't grow up with a a father, the statistics change a bit because then, you know, oh, my father loved me and something unfortunate happened, especially if he died heroically, like maybe in the military, Mm -hmm. there's, there's still that sense of like, I had a father versus somebody who left and abandoned me, whether it was, you know, they were never married to my mother and never stepped up and married her, whether it was they divorced my mother. There's a total difference between the two. So it's not even necessarily, I mean, it is to some degree, like you want a father that's active in your life, but it's not even, I have a father in my home. It's, did I have a man who like made it his life's mission to step up and be there for me? Like when you don't have that, that's a massive um, missing piece in your life that you're obviously trying to fill. And, and ultimately like those, those holes are only filled by God. Like not even a good father can fill that void for you in your heart. And, and you see that with how people, you know, they, they choose any number of vices to fill that void. So I think ultimately it's a lack of knowing God. Um, but I think a good father can point you towards God. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I, I, I'm afraid that we're going in a bad direction when it comes to divorce, because even though I think a lot of young families are, again, as we talked about earlier, going towards more traditional roles, uh, there's others who are glorifying divorce. I just saw a video recently of Emily Ratajkowski, who's, <laughs> yeah, I, I know you've seen that one where she's like, I'm still hot. And uh, I just, uh, you know, just if you're someone just get divorced, it's no problem. It's like, you know, I got married at 26 and we've been divor- separated for a year and a half and it's okay. And this, 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 and this. And I'm like, and then you're going to have a lot of people, especially that shacked up during the lockdowns from the last couple of years. We've already seen the number of dogs and cats that got returned to shelters because people were home and then they had to get back to work. And they're like, well, I don't want this dog anymore. So they oh, send it back. So and they're probably doing that with with husbands and wives. Yeah. Ah, now we spent too much time. We thought it was a good idea. We got stuck inside. We ended up having a kid because, you know, had nothing else to do. But we're not we're just not really clicking right now. And uh, yeah, we're getting, and I'm noticing that from people on Facebook. I'm like, who's this person? Oh, oh, 
yeah, that's uh, it's your maiden name. I didn't know that was your maiden name. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm, I don't know half the people because they're all getting divorced right now. Really? And it, and it's get, it seems like it's a, a, a huge push to glorify not just divorce, but just the breaking up of the nuclear family. That's really interesting that you're seeing that. I mean, I, I'm not surprised, though. I mean, when you when you don't value marriage enough to wait for it and you're basically playing house before you get married, when that becomes not fun anymore, which honestly, I was having this conversation with somebody this weekend and she said, you know, honestly, she's like my honeymoon phase lasted two months. And then she's like and it was the vows like it's the vows that keep you there. And she's like for people who are living together who didn't make those vows, who aren't married. She's like, I am so shocked that they ever get married. Like, what would drive you to want to get married after that wears off, after that, that you know, aspect of the relationship is no longer there? So she was really stunned by people who still get married even after living together because a lot of them break up. But I think, I think that's like the misunderstanding of what love is. People are so obsessed with the idea that love is a feeling and they want to feel that feeling. And when they lose that feeling with that person, they think, oh, that means we're not in love anymore. That means I never loved them. I need to go find that feeling with somebody else. Like no one is getting that that's natural, that's normal, that's life. And that this person that you marry ultimately becomes your family. Like it's somebody that you can stay forever in a relationship with, even if there are periods where you don't necessarily like them, where the relationship has changed and grown. And because you have children, you know, for most couples, you know, that maybe are for couples that are open to life and not suffering from infertility, if you have children, you know, it's being there for them. It's making decisions that are good for them. It's not necessarily about making you the adult happy all the time. And I think a lot of people can't let go of that. And so they're seeking divorce and maybe not even committing in the first place and getting married as like a way to escape, you know, feeling trapped in some capacity. But honestly, like I think when you have ultimate freedom, in my opinion, that's like the ultimate slavery. That's like the ultimate tyranny. It's the the endless option, but no commitment. And that's um, Jordan Peterson talks about it. Like anxiety comes from the aimlessness of it all. Like when you have nothing that you're going for, there's no goal in mind. People feel aimless and they get anxious. And I think that when you can't see yourself committing to somebody for life and enduring all that comes with it, um, I think that's why you see so many people just jumping ship. And it's sad. So as as we wrap up the podcast here, one thing that I, I've been I've been doing this particular podcast after 15 plus years of radio and I've been doing this podcast now for about almost three years is one thing I always fell into was just kind of rage bait is I would talk about, oh, Joe Biden said this and this, this and this. And can you believe what Nancy Pelosi did this, this, this and this and then wrap up the podcast. And I'm like. I need a solution here because I can't just rage about what's happening in our culture, what's happening in politics, what's happening in my church without offering what I would do better in order to kind of fix things. So putting a bow on this podcast, what would you say are some solutions uh, that that we can do to kind of better ourselves? And not even just as a Catholic or a conservative, but if you're somebody who is just wants to be a better person, uh, what can we do? What can we do better? Ooh, um, I mean, I think ultimately Mother Teresa has this great quote and she goes through a litany of, you know, people are going to do this, but do this anyway. And at the end of it, she says, it's not between you and them. It's between you and God. And I think that we lose sight of that so often. You know, we think everything is about everything else when ultimately at the hour of your death, it's going to be between you and God. And I think if you 
don't have that relationship right, no other relationship is ever going to be right. So I think ultimately, if people haven't found God, I think they need to find God. And if they have found God, I think they just need to strengthen and better their relationship with God, because I think that's ultimately like what what um, raises the quality of your other relationships. When you're when you're not looking for people to be God for you, you can love them better and you can receive the love better. And I think until we understand that, I think we're constantly looking for people to fill that, you know, divine hole in our heart. And I think that's what sets you up for disappointment and sets you up for failure. And um, everything in life is really human relationships. You know, nothing that you do is anything that you ever do alone or solo. So I think whether it's work relationships, friends, family, romantic, um, yeah, everything in life is relationships. And I think without a relationship with God, I really don't know how you have successful relationships. The podcast is called The Base uh, the Base Catholic. And uh, where can we find it? Where can we find you on social media? If we want more Jessica Kramer and all things Jessica Kramer, where can we go? <laughs> um, so Apple and Spotify, you can find the podcast. And then in terms of social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Jessica Kramer. And I will be having my Instagram public soon. I'm turning it. I'm in the process of converting it from personal to now my show's Instagram page. So eventually Instagram. Getting rid of all the old like photos just so people don't dox you, right? I got nothing to, I got no (laughs) shame. I got nothing to hide. Um, But I, yeah, I'm trying to make it a little bit more of like a public thing so that it's not like, oh, this is Jessica in like 2017. So yeah, exactly. You don't want, uh, (laughs) you you don't want people going back in time and saying like, did you tweet this in 2010? And I'm like, yeah, your honor. Um, what what do you want from me? Because uh, <laughs> it seems like we're going to be uh, the DOJ is going after pro-life grannies now for blocking pro-life clinics and stuff. And I'm just like, I, I, I can't even imagine what's going to happen. The the censorship crusade. So please uh, subscribe to Jessica's podcast. You could subscribe to mine if you want as well for not not saying you, <laughs> Jessica, but anyone else out there, uh, because I, I, I guarantee you at some point. My Patreon or something is just going to get shut down in the next year. I have a feeling there's going to be a a ramp up of censorship ahead of the 2024 election. I don't know what shenanigans they're going to try to pull coming up here in the next year. But uh, just if you enjoy your creators and people who are putting stuff out there for you, make sure you follow them and uh, subscribe, whether pay them on a Patreon or something like that, uh, because I have a feeling that there's going to be quite a crackdown very soon. So go check out The Base Catholic wherever you get your podcasts. And Jessica, thanks for doing the show. I really appreciate this. Oh, this was fun. Thank you. And my name is Tony Mazur. Thank you for checking out the show. My podcast here, Check Your Brain. Again, if you want more content from me and early access to guests such as Jessica, go to patreon.com slash Tony Mazur for just three bucks a month. And I've got a $5 and a $10 tier and it's all fun stuff. But thank you everybody for listening to today's Check Your Brain podcast. And I'll be back with you with another free episode coming